What's up, Revolution? All right, that was cool. So this has been an interesting week. I feel like a stand-up comedian. I'm moving the microphone stand out of the way. Um, shut up, Kelly. Uh, <laughs> that's going to be on the podcast. Um, so this has been a really interesting week for me. Um, has anyone in here ever quit using tobacco products before? Come on, I know we're in church, but like, don't be ashamed of yourselves, right? Yeah, we got like a few people. I'm day eight with no nicotine whatsoever. And, no, don't clap. This sucks. Like, this is awful. <laughs> like, I'm trying to quit. Uh, just those, those of you who kind of give me a hard time about it, wanted to let you know that today's day eight. And I've just recently got out of that stage where I want to kill everybody and I hate everything. So, like, we're kind of getting out of that and it's getting better. Um, I don't know why I wanted to share that with you. I think it was so, like, you can hold me accountable. Like, if you see me smoking or if you see me, like, with some snuff on me, just yell at me and tell me that I told you guys I'd quit. That's, I wanted some accountability here. Help me out. Um, but this is the last service that Rev's going to be having before the end of the school year, right? You guys are going to be leaving. You'll be back like the third week of August. College students, at least, will be revolutionary. For those of you who are new, we'll still keep going on during the summer. Um, but you guys get like three months of not having to do anything. Is that, are you guys pumped for that? How many of you have, like, do you guys actually like not do anything for three months? No? Okay, good, because, like, I'm, like, I'm growing up, and, like, I work all the time, and I'm starting to, like, get bitter at the people who get, like, summer breaks off. Like, I'm just starting to become, like, a bitter old curmudgeon, Uh, so bear with me. But I figured one of the best ways to end the school year um, would be to answer some frequently asked questions. Um, So we decided to do this thing called Ask Pastor Dave. This is, I think, the second one that I've done. Um, And what I do is you guys ask me all kinds of questions, like, throughout the course of the year. Um... And I generally pick like three or four of them, and then I answer them for you guys here. So, and, I, and the reason why I do it here instead of trying to answer them on the fly all the time is so I can give you guys a good biblical response that's not just my opinion, uh, because opinions are worthless. That's our motto here at Revolution. Your opinion doesn't matter. Um, scripture is king, right? Scripture is what matters, not your opinion. That's our motto here at Rev. Um, but here's the kinds of questions, just so you guys know. Like, this is the kind of stuff that I get asked by you guys. Why do we believe Jesus is God? Sounds simple enough, right? If I, how many people in here, and be real with me, if I hand you a Bible, who can defend the fact that Jesus is God? I got one guy, two guys, three, four, people are getting more and more brave, five, okay? I'm not going to do this, but one of my plans for this evening was to go out with a microphone and make you actually have to do it, like put your money where your mouth is, right? Because something I've come to find out is most Christians actually can't do that. They can't actually defend the deity of Christ from Scripture. It's, it sucks. And the reason why that's a big question right now is, have you guys seen the Jehovah's Witnesses on campus? Yeah, that's not Christianity, just so you know. Like Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, that's not Christianity. If you deny the deity of Christ, you're going to hell. Like I know that sounds like I'm being like rough, but that's just how it is. Um, so I get asked questions like that, and that's a really hard question for a lot of us, and we don't know how to answer it. Um, and that needs addressed, and we're going to do that at another point. Uh, I get asked questions like this, too. Why is your brother-in-law such an idiot? Um, <laughs> he said, that's my senior picture. Um, all right, and all the, all the best biblical answer I can get to that is in Deuteronomy. It said, like, let the secret things that are the Lord's be the Lord's. And I don't know what the answer is. Um, and then I, but seriously, I, I actually get asked stuff like this. Seriously, why is your brother-in-law such an idiot? <laughs> I've... He gave me permission. He's a good husband and a good father, but, like, I have to make fun of him. Uh, I can't help it. It's too easy. Um, 
All right, and I also get asked questions like this. How can I land a hot wife? Right, and the best thing that I can tell you is grow a beard, start playing drums, get really good at it, read a lot of Charles Spurgeon, and read a lot of the Bible, too. Like, that's how you get a really hot wife. Um, some of you don't get the joke, and it's because you don't know me very well, and that's okay. Um, but note, for real, though, like, here are the, like, the actual kinds of questions that I get asked. Why do we believe Jesus is God? How can I trust the Bible to be true? Should we baptize children? Must we be baptized to be saved? Old earth creationism versus young earth creationism versus theistic evolution. Which one's right? Uh, What is Calvinism? And that's the one you guys asked me more than anything. That's probably my fault. Um, Should women be allowed to preach or pastor? Is hell a literal place or a metaphor? What law carried over from the Old Testament into the New Testament? These are the kinds of questions that you guys ask me. My job can suck sometimes because, like, these are, like, really hard questions. Um, but this is, like I said, all the time. And you guys ask really, really good, thought-provoking, solid, solid questions. And I mean this. I thank God for that on a regular basis because that, what that tells me as your pastor is that you're thinking through stuff. Right, like you're in scripture, you're taking note of what's going on in society around us, of different denominations, of different religious beliefs, and you're saying, okay, so how does a Christian deal with this? What should we think? How should we feel? And I'm really, really pumped on that. Um, Now, usually what I'm going to do for Ask Pastor Dave is I'm going to answer three or four questions. Um, And I had planned on answering uh, the first three were going to be, why do we believe Jesus is God? And we're going to get to that probably next semester. Um, unless you want to know any of these things after service, I'll talk to you. Uh, what is Calvinism was the second one that I was going to answer. Uh, the third was, must we be baptized to be saved? Um, but then there was a fourth question that I get asked a lot, and this one weighed me down really hard. And I know that it needs to be answered, and I really, really, really need to answer it well. Um, and it's a super lengthy response, right? I'm answering one question this evening. And we're going to be here for a minute, so, like, bear with me. Uh, But there's, like, all kinds of different places that we got to go. Because this is something that the church has to address in our current social climate with different laws changing, with relativism uh, creeping in everywhere. Because we live in a postmodern society where relativism is king, where there is no such thing as truth. There's only, you know, whatever you think. We have to start addressing this question that I'm getting ready to ask. So pay attention, all right? You're going to get asked this. If you're not already getting asked this, you're going to start getting asked this a lot more. Um, So we're going to look at this one question, and we're going to see all the different places that it takes us. And I'm asking you to do something. Listen to what I'm saying, and don't take any of my words out of context. All right? Please hear me out entirely. Don't throw anything on stage, right? That's what I'm trying to say. And, you know, if you disagree with something I have to say, um, take notes on it, and that way you can tell me why you disagree in more detail later, and you can insult me better um, if you actually have notes taken. All right, so let's rock and roll on this. Let's get to the question now that I've hyped it so much. Here it is. Can you be gay and be a Christian? Yeah. Like, this will be easy, right? Like, <laughs> It's okay, you can laugh. I know everyone's feeling a little bit uncomfortable because you don't know. Am I Fred Phelps Jr.? Right, some of you guys don't know me. We don't know what's getting ready to go down. Uh, And I'm not, all right, for the record. Um, That's the question I got to answer. Like, I never get softball questions from you guys. Like, it's never, who is Jesus or what is the gospel? It's always like stuff that makes everyone super uncomfortable and is really hard, right? And that's how I know revolution is being effective because you're asking the same kinds of questions that I ask people and make them really uncomfortable too. Um, but let's define our terms on this, all right? Let's just jump into it. Can someone be gay and be a Christian? Um, what do we mean by gay? Simply, uh, same-sex attraction, 
right? Being attracted to someone of the same sex. So the question, more defined, is can you be attracted to the same sex and be a Christian? That's the real question that we're asking. Um, But first, let's get the even bigger question out of the way. Let's get the elephant out of the room that no Christian seems to want to address. Um, What does the Bible say about homosexuality and homosexual practices? That's the question everyone really wants to know, I think, to kick the thing, like just to kick this off. Let's just get that out of the way. Um, And what I mean by that is the question is, is it a sin to be a homosexual? Um, Or is it a sin to engage in homosexual practices? You know, what does the Bible have to say about this subject? All right, and remember, my opinion does not matter. Only scripture matters. So let's check the Bible. And believe it or not, right, this might shock some of you, we're not going to go to the book of Leviticus. Any of you want to laugh? Yeah, go ahead and laugh. Like, we all know what Leviticus says, right? It talks about, like, stoning people that that commit um, acts of homosexuality, right? We don't actually, we're not going to go to Leviticus tonight because we don't need to go to the book of Leviticus. Like, we don't need to go to the Old Testament to get our answer to this. And I mean absolutely no disrespect to the Old Testament at all. I love all of Scripture. Um, I understand different parts of it better than others. No disrespect to the Old Testament. But here's why we're not going to go to the Old Testament. We're not going to go to Leviticus. Your average Christian... I mean, most people in this room are not, or your average Christian is not well enough versed in the Old Testament to draw doctrine from it without looking like a complete idiot. None of you guys seem to agree with me on that. I thought you maybe would laugh at that, but, you know, maybe not. Maybe some of you guys are wondering if you're the idiot, right? I don't know. Um, And here's what I mean. Some people will point to this law in Leviticus that says, man should not lay with another man, right? And they're going to say, see, it says in Leviticus, don't do it. Uh, and then the problem you're going to have is you're going to have to explain why we don't obey the rest of the book of Leviticus, <laughs> right? Anyone ever read Leviticus and didn't fall asleep? <laughs> it's okay. Bud thinks it's funny. Everyone else can laugh. Stop making me feel awkward, all right? Like, this is hard enough. Like, come on, chuckle once in a while. Jeez. Right? But Leviticus says stuff like, don't trim your beard, which I am all about. Like, I'm riding that train. It says, don't trim your beard. It says not to have tattoos. I'm in a lot of trouble here. Um, no, no tattoos, no pork. We're Americans. Everyone in here likes to eat the pig, right? Don't wear two kinds of fabric, right? So no denim and no cotton, right? We're getting into uh, how we're supposed to dress. These are all things that Leviticus says. So we're not going to go to Leviticus because we don't live by that. And unless you can really defend your position and understand the different types of law in the Old Testament, you don't want to go there because they'll hang you out to dry. The average, the average non-believer will on this answer if you go there. Um, so we're going to stick with the New Testament because I think it's a fair motto. We live by the New Testament, but we learn from the Old Testament. You tracking with me on that? Like we learn about God's faithfulness and all kinds of things about the attributes of God and all kinds of stuff like that. But we live in the New Testament. So whatever law is reiterated from the Old Testament into the New Testament is what we call moral law. And as Christians, we are bound to the moral law still. Jesus set us free from the ceremonial law, the judicial law, the dietary law, all that stuff, but we are still very much bound to the moral law of God. All right, so what's reiterated in the New Testament? Let's check it out. Let's see what Paul has to say in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, and 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 11. Let's check it out. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. 
And some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Then we see this in 1 Timothy. Paul writes this too. We know that the law is good when used correctly. For the law was not intended for people who do what is right. It is for people who are lawless and rebellious, who are ungodly and sinful, who consider nothing sacred and defile what is holy, who kill their father or mother or commit other murders. The law is for people who are sexually immoral or who practice homosexuality or are slave traders, liars, promise breakers, or who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me by our blessed God. All right, so Paul's making his case, right? Paul is telling us that among a whole lot of other things, right? And that's one of the things I want us to bear in mind. Practicing homosexuality, right, engaging in homosexual acts, being in a homosexual relationship is not acceptable behavior for Christians, right? Um, All these things cannot be, all the things he mentioned, that being in the the list, um, all of those things that he talks about cannot be the patterns of our lives if we are to inherit the kingdom of God, if we're going to call ourselves Christians, if we're going to follow Jesus. This is not how we live. Now, we may fail, and we may sin, and we may fall and stumble, but this will not be our habitual practices. That's what Paul is saying here and in other places in the New Testament. All right, so let's just get it out of the way. Practicing homosexuality is sin, period. That's what Scripture says. I don't need to defend what scripture says. I just need to tell you guys what it says. That's, that's kind of how I, we feel about it at Rev. Um, but take note again that the sin of practicing homosexuality is listed among many, many others. Like I couldn't catch my breath. I was trying to read through them so fast so I could get them done in like one shot. There's all kinds of things it's listed among. Um, it's not in its own category of especially wicked. All right, it's not. Um, and in... Don't get me wrong. I am not downplaying the sin of engaging in homosexual activity. I'm not. Um, I'm not downplaying any sin, actually. What I, what I really want us to do is I want us to understand that all sin, all right, all sin, everything Paul listed and all kinds of stuff that Paul did not list is all equally damning and unfathomably wicked, and God hates all of it. All right? Greed, gossip, slander, hate, lust, lying, all of it, all equally damning. Everyone deserves hell for all of these things. God hates all forms of sin. So I'm not downplaying one in favor of the other, and I'm not trumping up one in favor of others. I want us to get a good biblical understanding of sin. God hates all of it. He doesn't hate any of it more than anything else. All of it deserves the same punishment. All right, but check this out. Going over here. That's what I'm talking about. We call that professional. Um, go ahead. It's cool. Um, but but check this out too. I hate this mic. It's like Bob Barker from like. <laughs> Come on down. If we did altar calls and I had a big Bob Barker mic, I would do that. Come on down, Dustin. Um, why I called Dustin out as the dude who needs to hit the altar, I don't know. Um, <laughs> right, but but keep this in mind. It's always practicing homosexuality that's condemned as sin, right? Again, a romantic or a sexual relationship with someone of the same sex. Not mere attraction. You you tracking with me on that? It's not just attraction. It's not mere attraction that's condemned. It's the act of engaging in it. All right, so 
and we're about to hit some of my own opinion here. Um, I'm under the opinion that everyone is born with a propensity toward various sins. Um, and I mean everyone, right? Everyone's a sinner. Um, and I'm, I'm going to be real with you guys here for a minute. I have a propensity, right? The, the sins that I'm truly tempted by that I tend to want to walk in um, is a propensity to lust, right? To be greedy, to want to party, because that was a huge part of my life, and to hate people. Yeah, the things you learn about your pastor whenever he decides to get a little bit transparent with you, right? Um, those are the things that I tend to be tempted towards more than anything, right? Those are the sins that I gravitate towards more than others. And I think that some people have a tendency to gravitate towards same-sex relationships. That's what they're more attracted to as far as sin goes. Um, and I think that that's just a more rare or closeted um, propensity to sin propensity to have. I think it's just more rare or more closeted. But again, it's no different than anything else. Um, it's all awful, right? So let's revisit the question. Um, now that we've established it's a sin like all other sins, um, can you be gay and be a Christian? Let's rethink that. Can you be a sinner and be a Christian? Shake your head, like nod your head yes. Do it, yes, you can be a Christian and be a sinner. Good, good, I'm glad. First um, John 1.8 says this, If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. John is writing to Christians here. He's saying, if you say as a Christian that you have no sin, you're a liar, right? And you're not a Christian because you're lying. So everyone still sins every day. Everyone rebels. Everyone is a sinner. But good news for us, right? Good news for us. Paul says this in 1 Timothy. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then Paul says this, and I am the worst of them all. So Jesus died in our place for our sin. This is the gospel. This is the good news for sinners that we all suck, that we've all rebelled against God, but that Jesus would take our sin on himself. God says sin must be punished, and Jesus says punish me instead of them. And Jesus dies on the cross, comes back from the dead three days later to prove our sin has been paid for. And now if we have faith in Jesus, we owe God nothing. That's the good news for sinners. And everyone fits into that category, whether you're gay or not. But even after coming to faith in Jesus, we still rebel daily. Right? We still sin. But what's weird is we're still justified by Christ because we're saved by faith, not works. I'm not saying it's okay to go out and do whatever you want, but I'm saying you're still saved by your faith, not how well you obey. So you're simultaneously justified by faith and still a sinner. It's, it's, it's a very strange concept. Um, but because of our faith and our love for Jesus, and the fact that we are still sinners, we begin to struggle, right? We begin to kill our sin or take steps and measures to put our sin to death. We begin to fight our sinful urges and our natures and our temptation to sin. But why? Why do we struggle against sin? Simply put, because we're Christians, right? You didn't see that one coming, did you? Really throwing curveballs tonight. Uh, we struggle against sin because we're Christians. But here's the thing. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does that mean? We, we really got to nail this down. To, to be a Christian means to submit to the gospel, to believe that Christ died in your place for your sins, and faith in him is what saves you. And then after you believe that, to submit to the lordship of Jesus, right? 
Jesus can't be your Savior and not your Lord. I really want, that's something I talk about a lot here at Revolution. If he's not your Lord, then he's not your Savior. You have to have both. You can't just have one. So you believe the gospel, and then you begin to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ over your life because he is your king now, right? And the lordship of Jesus is true Christianity. Submitting to his authority, nothing less than that. That is what Christianity is, is submitting to Christ. And this is where we bring every thought that we have captive to the authority of Christ and his rule and what he's commanded, where we're transformed by the renewing of our minds, uh, by scripture changing how we think and the Holy Spirit taking scripture and doing something within us so we begin to think differently about our sin, to think differently about how we're supposed to live. And then we begin to obey the Lord Jesus because we love him, because we believe the gospel. Because we believe that nothing can save us but him. All right? Now, I, I bring up the lordship of Jesus in this answer to this question. And I know some of you are going, what is he even talking about again? Remember, we're still, can you be gay and be a Christian? That's, we're going a lot of places to get to one place. Um, I bring up the lordship of Christ because if he is our Lord and he is our Savior, then we have to obey him in everything. All right, and in this topic, in this question tonight, we have to obey Jesus in the areas of sex and relationships in our lives. You guys tracking with me so far on that? Lordship of Jesus, we have to obey him in these areas as well. Um, we don't get to compartmentalize our lives as Christians. Jesus is either Lord of your whole life or he's Lord of none of it. All right, so let's check this out. So I think it'd be a good idea to know how Jesus thought about relationships and sex, right? I think that'd be a really solid place to start if we're going to submit to his authority on the matter. So Matthew 19, verses 3 through 9, we're going to see this. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him, this is Jesus, with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away, they asked. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. Now, I know what you're thinking. Why the heck is he reading us a passage on divorce, <laughs> right? Like, why is he doing this? Why, why did I go there? Um, what I'm wanting to do is, just fun fact, and I'll be the first one to tell you, Jesus never specifically talks about homosexuality ever. If someone ever tells you that, they're, they're telling you the truth. He never hits it head on, all right? But here's what I want to highlight with this. Jesus hits on the sexual, we're going to call it the sexual ethics of the Bible, Right? Jesus affirms things that are um, in the Old Testament about how God's designed marriage and how God has, de has designed sex. Right? Th these principles are all over Scripture. Right? And here are the principles that we can deduce from what we just read. Right? Sex is to be only within the context of marriage. Anything else is not sanctioned by God and is sin. Right? Because he said if you divorce your wife, right, you commit adultery whenever you get with someone else. Right? So sex is to be only within marriage. The second thing, sex is designed for marriage to further unite the couple, right? So it's not only supposed to be just used within marriage, but it was actually designed for marriage. Um, and the third thing, marriage is understood to be a heterosexual relationship. One man and one woman, right? 
Jesus says he'll leave his father and his mother, right, father, mother, family, to cling to his wife, which is, again, another male and another female. We're getting a heterosexual uh, concept here. And this whole design for marriage is based off of the design of all creation, right? In Genesis, it says male and female, God created them, right? It's all based off the design of creation. So, Sexual and romantic relationships are for marriage. Marriage is between one man and one woman, and all premarital, non-marital, or extramarital sex is sin. You tracking with me? Have I said too much? Whatever, man. You're either with me or you're not. This tra- Thank you, bud. This train is just going to keep on trucking. Right? Um, but bear in mind, okay, with all these things... Um, that Christians don't live in rebellion against Jesus. This is why we talked about the lordship of Jesus. Rather, we live in submission to his lordship. We don't rebel against him. So, therefore, regardless of our desires and our attractions, we submit all of who we are to the authority of Jesus and his ethics. And in this case, we're going to submit to the sexual ethics taught by our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so... In the case of a Christian who is attracted to the same sex, they can't have sex because they can't biblically get married. Because the Bible defines marriage as between one man and one woman, so sex is out of the question. Marriage is out of the question. So people who are attracted to the same sex and are Christians, their answer is, is celibacy. Right? To go, your, to go the rest of your life following Jesus and not be in a romantic relationship and, you know, not engage in any sexual activity. And I know how that sounds. That sounds like a really harsh answer. Like, that sounds like a really harsh answer to a lot of people. Um, It sounds like you're basically giving someone a death sentence, right? Um, And I say that because it's especially like this in our culture that has made sex and relationships gods. To tell someone that you can't have either of those things is like giving them a death sentence in this culture because that's what we worship. All right? But according to the Bible, celibacy is not the end of life. All right? According to the Bible, life is not about sex, and it's not even about marriage. It's not at all. Life is about glorifying God. Okay, and you can say that I really don't know what I'm talking about because I'm not married and I've only been alive for 23 years. I'm going to stand on what the Bible says here for a minute so you can just bear with me and let God say what he said. Um, Life's about glorifying God. It's about furthering the gospel of Jesus and, and start furthering, or in furthering the kingdom of God, right? And in this situation, if life is all about enjoying God and glorifying him with our lives because we love him, in this situation, it is incredibly glorifying to God to submit to Jesus' ethics and be celibate. But here's the problem, right? Here's the problem with this. The church does not live like glorifying God and furthering the gospel and the kingdom of God is the reason we're alive. We don't live that way, do we? Let's be real for a minute. We suck. We suck really bad, all right? We're just going to be honest for a couple of minutes. Um, We live like the rest of the culture. We've been influenced by the culture where everything is about, you know, who are you going to be sleeping with in the future, right? Because none of us have had sex before we were married. Um, Right? Who are you going to sleep with in the future? Who's your, who's your spouse? Who, who are you engaged to? Right? Like, we worship relationships and sex and marriage and all that stuff just as much as the rest of the world does. Um, we find our worth in those things more than we find our worth in God. We find our identity in those things instead of finding our identity in the fact that we've been bought by the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus. And that we're children of God now. 
And because of that, the homosexual despairs at the thought of never being able to get married and never being in a relationship. And it's because we aren't showing the world that living for Jesus is why we live. So what do you expect someone to do but despair whenever you take those two things away from them? Whenever we don't live any different than the rest of the culture. When those are the chief ends of us instead of glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. But here's the thing too. Um, We can't just tell someone to be celibate and have a nice life. All right? We can't do that. We can't say, oh, you, you want to be a Christian and you're gay. Okay, um, you can't have sex, you can't get married, have fun with that, see ya, right? Uh, we have to walk with people. We have to be family to people, all right? Um, this is really cool. I was, at a, I was at this thing called the Q Conference with um, Scott and Alice Kay Rawlings and Rick Clark a couple of weeks ago. It was pretty awesome, um, and while we were there, there was a, there was a lesbian woman there. There was, it was actually this is the strangest thing I'd ever been to because, like, I'm an incredibly conservative Christian. And, like, they would have people there, like, on way opposing sides of, like, this argument here tonight. Um, like, both affirming themselves to be Christians, both going at it really hard and, like, debating in front of us. And that was just the craziest thing I'd ever seen. And, uh, and it was good. I was really glad that I got to, to hear some of this stuff. But there was this lesbian woman who gets on stage. And she says, you know, I, I affirm what the Bible teaches, and I, uh, I affirm the historic view of marriage and the historic view of, um, you know, homosexuals should be celibate. I, that's what I affirm, and I've been celibate for like 13 years, I think she said. She's in her 20s. Um, and then she said this, right? So she's right where I'm landing with all this. And she threw this out. She said, I can live without sex. I cannot live without intimacy. Think about that for a second. I really, this is something that we really got to think about as a church. This, this punched me in the gut whenever she said that, because I had never considered that, right? Intimacy, not meaning, again, not meaning a sexual relationship, but like this family bond with people, right? Where they know everything about you. You can go to them for anything. You can go to them about anything. They're there for you. They're doing life with you. They're walking with you every step of the way through your sin struggles, through your ministry, through everything that you're doing. They're right there. That's intimacy. Intimacy equals family and church should equal family. But we don't tend to do that, do we? I'm not trying to like plug small groups, but like we're not in small groups at Rev. Literally one of the easiest things that I think that we could do. um, And yet I see all the people here. I know some of you are new. I get that. But I see all the people here. And I think to myself, man, if everyone were in small groups, our our groups would either be overflowing or we would have to have new leaders, right? But, But we don't do that, right? We don't meet together throughout the week. We don't hang out with each other. We're not walking with each other or holding each other accountable to anything. We're not really loving each other. We're not involved in each other's lives. We're not caring for each other other. Essentially what we do is we meet here once a week like the freaking Freemasons, right? Sing some songs, hear me give a 30 minute book report on what I read for the week, and then we go home. That's what we do. There's no family. So whenever we tell somebody that their only option is to be celibate, and then we don't offer them any intimacy, what do we expect them to do other than become suicidal and despair? What do we really expect? Gay, straight, whatever. If there's no intimacy here and there's no family here, what do we expect people to do other than suffer and despair? Let's be real for a second. 
we have to do better. Right? We have to love each other. Is that heavy enough for you? You guys are afraid to laugh now, aren't you? I'm turning into a Baptist. Um, right? But let's go back to submitting to Jesus. Okay? Let's go back to that. Submitting to the Lordship of Jesus. Why do we do that? Um, simply put, and this is a beautiful answer, and I thank godly men like John Piper for making this come out and hit me in the face. Um, we submit to the Lordship of Jesus because we find the person and work of Jesus more beautiful than anything else in the world. That's why we submit to Jesus. And we see Jesus that way because we believe the gospel, that we couldn't save ourselves, but that he did with his perfection and his sacrifice and him giving us his perfect righteousness whenever it's time for us to be judged, right? And because he is supremely beautiful to us, check this, because he is supremely beautiful to us, we desire him above all other desires we might have. That's why we submit to Jesus in everything, because we want him more than we want anything else. And because we desire him, we seek to please him, right? Living lives that that give him praise and give him glory to show him how much that we value him. And we submit, we do all these things because we love God, because he has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. So for me, the question is not, can you be gay and be a Christian? For me, the question is, who do you love? Right? Regardless of sexual orientation, who do you love? Jesus says this in Matthew. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. So gay, straight, addict, sober, hooker, soccer mom, wherever you're at in life. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus more than porn? Do you love Jesus more than sex? Do you love him more than money, more than pills, more than alcohol, more than your anger, more than the grudge you're holding against somebody? Do you love Jesus more than your kids, more than your job, more than your family? Do you love Jesus more than yourself? Therein lies the true question. And if the answer is not a resounding yes, then we must ask ourselves if we're really following Jesus or not. And I'm not saying that we don't make mistakes because God knows I sin every day. That's why I hit that bit in 1 John. Everyone screws up. Everyone rebels every day. But are we resubmitting ourselves to the lordship of Jesus? We have to desire Jesus more than our desires. Sexual or whatever they might be. That's why we deny ourselves daily. It's because we love him more than anything. Right, so can a person be attracted to the same sex and be a Christian? Absolutely. Absolutely they can. If they love Jesus more than themselves and their desires, submit to the lordship of Jesus and believe the gospel. Listen, that's the answer to every single question of who can be a Christian. Right? We got to get that through here. It's not in another like set of sins, right? Drug addict, porn addict, whore, hooker, whatever you are, drunk, liar, greedy, hater, gossip, slander, whatever. That's the answer to all of it. Submit to the Lordship of Jesus, believe the gospel, and love him. Anyone can be a Christian. So here's the thing. 
and we're, we're nearing the end of this. Um, the church, I just want to throw this out to you guys. The church should never uh, be a group of people that sinners are afraid of coming to and admitting their brokenness. And we suck at that. The church should never be a place where someone's afraid to come in and say, I'm a sinner, right? And here's why, that people shouldn't be afraid of that. Because the crosses that we wear, the crosses on our Bibles, everything that we see whenever we talk about the cross and sing about the cross, the cross is a, a symbol that just screams and screams and screams that we all suck and that we all deserve hell and that this is what it costs to save us because we're that bad. That's what the cross says continuously. That... It took the Father pouring his wrath out on the Son to save us because we're that miserable and wicked. That's why people shouldn't be afraid to come here and tell us that they're miserable and wicked. Because we get that about ourselves already. We have to be a people of love, right? Not affirming sin, not contradicting the Bible, but loving people even though we're adhering to what Scripture says. We have to be a people that make it known to all people that we will walk with them in this life no matter where they're at or what their struggles are or what their propensities to sin are. We have to be a people that that let people know that their sin does not shock us or make us sick because we realize that we are just as desperately wicked as they are, just in different ways. That's what we have to do. You know, if broken people can't come to the church for love and hope, where can they go? Where are they going to go? If we aren't willing to love and to do life with the outcast, who will? You know, and if we're not willing to do those things, then who do we think we are? Are you better than the one who bought you, Jesus? I, I, I don't think so. All right, so here's what I think we should do with all, with all this stuff that we, I talked about, rather. Let's be more like Jesus. <laughs> That's the goal. It's a hard one. It's going to be a good time. Um, it's going to take us our whole lives, and we're going to have to die before we even get close to it. Um, but let's, let's be more like Jesus, right? Affirming Scripture and, and living by Scripture, but loving people, right? And showing grace regardless of what their sinful propensities are. That's what Jesus did for you and me. That's what he did for everybody. Um, we, we must not. And hear me, we must not build up ungodly walls that keep people away and keep them ashamed to confess their sin and their struggles. We cannot do that. And we have to live like a family that loves one another. A family that, that wants to serve one another in truth and in love. And we do all of this to the glory of God and the spread of his gospel so that we can tell people that Society may hate them. There may be some bigot, homophobe Christians out there that hate them. And we're not going to affirm where they're at, just like we wouldn't affirm someone who's um, cheating on their wife, or we wouldn't affirm someone who's a thief, or we wouldn't affirm someone who's a murderer, but that we would tell them just like we would tell anyone else, there's grace at the cross, because the cross says we all suck. There's love here because we're family, and we're going to walk with you through this because we love you because we've been loved first. That's what we have to do. That should be our position. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for showing mercy and showing grace to sinners. 
None of us deserve grace. We're, we're all equally desperately wicked. Um, Father, I pray that we take what your scripture says and, and the concepts of love and grace to other people and, and we, we stop being bigoted and we stop hating people because they struggle differently than us. We stop being repulsed by people because their struggles are different than ours. Um, I pray that we would just love people no matter where they're at, whether it's addiction or prostitution or homosexuality or, or whatever their past may be, that we would love them because you've loved us first. I pray that the gospel and our own depravity and our own wickedness stay at the forefront of our minds so that we can remind ourselves how much we suck and how good you were to us so we can show that to other people. Please don't ever stop working on us. In Jesus' name, amen.